Well, the message today is a continuation of what we started on Palm Sunday, you know, when basically uh, we took a look at what Paul said his determined purpose in life was. If it's Paul's determined purpose, surely it would serve us well for it to be our determined purpose as well. I wanna read the basic passage from Philippians 3.10 with you now. I'm gonna read from the Amplified. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. Now, of course, I had made mention of the fact last week that being made conformable to his sufferings isn't something that should be frightening to any of us because we need to suffer what he suffered, not the kind of suffering you see in the general world. Jesus never suffered sickness or disease. He never suffered poverty, lack, oppression. Now the suffering Jesus did was primarily rooted in the denial of his flesh, his carnal nature. Remember, he laid down the wonders of heaven and took on the human condition and experienced all things that all humans do. And it is suffering when you say no to your carnal nature, no to the demands of your flesh. And also there's a suffering that's connected with persecution. Now you don't have to look for it, it's gonna come if you live your faith. But that's the kind of suffering Jesus did and he says to us, that's the kind of suffering we need to be made conformable to, learning to say no to our flesh and to our carnal nature. And then if we do so, he says there are two things we need to know if we're going to attain unto his resurrection. And of course, that is what we all should want to do, be conscious of needing to do, attain unto his resurrection. Well, if that's going to be so, there are two things you need to know. The first is to know him. Have a determined purpose to know him. And Palm Sunday clearly demonstrates the first of those ways we need to know him. We need to know him as king. And we went on to uh, demonstrate last Sunday that we progress once we know him as king to learning him as friend and shepherd. And so we spent time doing that talking about knowing him. Because if it's Paul's determined purpose, it should be ours as well. But then we get to another thing that the word says we need to know. We need to be determined to know, and that is the power of his resurrection. The power that is outflowing from his resurrection and which is exerted over the lives of the believers. And so to know this power, however, outflowing from his resurrection, 
It's impossible to talk about that without talking a little bit about the power that enables resurrection. There are two different power sources in the believer's life that we see at work. One that generates resurrection and one that outflows from his resurrection and that we're to live our daily life by. The first power that produces resurrection is the power of the blood. So you can't talk about resurrection power without first understanding some things about the power of the blood. The power of the blood, of course, is what changes the spiritual truth of who you are. And the power of the resurrection is what changes your physical arena of life in terms of what you are. The power of the blood changes the unseen realm the realm that is revealed to us by the word of God. That power of the blood, it says, when you are born again, when you are raised from the dead spiritually to an eternal life with God, produces a lot of other changes in the kind of life that you have. In other words, we identify with what we see in Christ, and of course, that's why we are called in Christ when we do. And the things that are true for him are true for us in Christ by virtue of the power of the blood when we have been raised from spiritual death. That means that all of the other things that that uh, kind of life in Christ produces, healed, delivered, set free, prosperous, whole in every arena, is a spiritual reality for you the moment you get saved, the moment you get born again by the power of the blood, the moment you step into the kingdom, these things become true for the real you. And this is the real you, whether you feel anything or not. Once you have believed and become a member of the family of God, born again is a term Jesus uses, it's like starting all over in life, and it truly is. Now the real you is all of these things. The word says you are in Christ, more than a conqueror through him who loved you, able to do a few things, some things. No, all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's the real you. Now you may get up the morning after you're born again and look in the mirror and you don't look very healed, you don't look very righteous, you don't feel that way necessarily in this physical arena. But that's the real you, the one that lives eternally, and that will be a description not only of your eternal experience, but who you are spiritually now on this earth. Now the power of the resurrected being, the power of the resurrected you is a power that is to flow out of that resurrection, enabling you to change natural circumstance. And of course, cause natural circumstance to line up with spiritual truth of who you are. So it's easy to see it this way, I think, easier. If you see it as the blood changing the unseen realm and bringing about the new 
you through the new birth, and then the power outflowing from that resurrection that brings about change in this physical world that we live in. But it's necessary, like I say, to have a grasp on the blood and the power that's in that blood to do exactly what? According to the scripture in Romans chapter three, verse 25, which you can turn in your Bibles and read with me, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, the word says, which simply means atoning sacrifice, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And verse 26 goes on to say, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness. At the moment the blood works, the power in that blood works, it produces an instant right standing with God. That he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Justifier means rendered free, made free. Not only free from sin, but free from the consequence and the bondage that sin produces in a person's life. Free from poverty and lack, free from sickness and disease, free from oppression and relational schism, the list is endless. But it's the power of the blood that makes that happen in the real you, the spiritual you. And that's the real you that's going to live eternally. And that's what the power of the blood does. Now our challenge is to bring these spiritual truths into natural manifestation. And of course, the power to do that is the power outflowing from his resurrection. But no matter which power source you tap into the power of the blood that brings the new birth and the new you, the power of the resurrection changing physical truth to line up with spiritual truth, it all comes by faith. As we see in Romans 3.25, it's by faith in the blood that these things happen. That means you come to a point in your life, which most of you listening to me now have, where you decide to believe that Jesus is, who he says he is, did what he said he came to do, and invite him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. Faith in that blood produces remission of sin it produces the new you, the new birth, and a whole arena of truth for you, the spiritual arena of truth that never was before. But it comes by faith in the power of the blood to do that. You have to believe it. And it really involves coming to the end of yourself in this life and saying, I recognize this world is nuts without God. It's crazy and there is no hope for any kind of true success in life, true contentment, fulfillment in life, unless there's something more. 
and then looking to the revelation of the Bible, the revelation of the unseen realm, the revelation of the truth that Jesus made a way where there was no way, making him your Lord. Faith in the blood does that. Now, the spiritual arena is changed. But as you continue living life on this earth, it is needful now that you learn how to bring that spiritual truth into manifestation in this physical arena. And it's the power of the blood that does that. Let's take a look at Ephesians 1.19 and we'll also look at 1.20 as well. Ephesians 1.19 says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? according to the working of his mighty power. Let me stop here for a moment and just say that the power is to usward who believe. So we can see the operation of faith being a necessity to take the power that outflows from the resurrection uh, of Jesus into the life of the believer. To receive it by faith is a necessity. And it says it's according to the working of his mighty power. That's what puts this power to work. I want you to see this as the way it is represented in scripture. When you're born again and these spiritual truths become a fact for you, you have a resource of power available to you. Every believer does. But some put it to work and others don't. And it's your faith that will put it to work. And just how great is this power? It says in verse 20, it's the same power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So it is the power of the resurrection that is now made available to outflow from your resurrection to change your physical truth in this natural arena. And that's going to happen by faith. Now these things don't happen all at once because it's a process of coming to a place of faith. It is a process of believing that these things are true. Of course, it begins with the decision to believe that the Bible is in fact a revelation of spiritual truth that you're not gonna find anywhere else. Every now and then, I have somebody say to me, well, how do you know the Bible is true? There are a lot of other religions in the world, and by the way, Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship, a system of truth that will indeed set you free. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, all of the religions you see in the world say they're right, they're correct. Every philosophy of man that you come across suggests that it's the right way to view life. Why do you say the Bible is true and all of these others aren't? Well, there are a number of reasons that I think you should consider in this matter because basically, all of the ideas that you see other than the Word of God, I'm going to say this for a moment and then establish the validity of it. 
The Word of God is divinely inspired. All the other ideas you find out there originate from the mind of a man. It doesn't matter what religious pursuit or philosophical pursuit you may engage in. These ideas originated from the mind of some man somewhere that you know to be as flawed and subject to error as you know your own self to be. So, you know, there's, you know, it's correct to question whether or not that is indeed a revelation of truth. Every worldly philosophy or religious pursuit can be traced to the mind of a man. Only one possibility exists to the contrary, and that is the Bible, the Word of God. And you say, well, didn't that originate in the mind of a man? No, it came through almost a thousand different scribes and prophets over literally thousands of years. And yet it produces a perfect picture of who God is, who we are, and how we're to relate to him. It didn't come through the mind of a man. God breathed his word, the Bible says, through man into what we now call the word of God or the Bible. It is a divinely inspired revelation come through almost a thousand different earthen vessels into painting this perfect picture of reality that we need to have. So that makes it one of a kind and a higher order of truth than any other you can find as regards the unseen realm. Life and death, heaven and hell, God and the devil, angels, demons, so on and so forth. Things that will never be validated in this temporal arena. This is the only valid source of truth there is. And if you still wonder, if you still have questions about that, then consider Bible prophecy as a divinely appointed authentication of the origins of the, of the Bible. Because that's really what it is. God isn't trying to impress us with his footwork by prophesying a future event, but he records it in the annals of the Bible and human history, and then some number of years, sometimes thousands of years later, it comes to pass, authenticating the divine origins of the Bible. I mentioned in a live stream about Good Friday that there are some 23 different prophecies from the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah that were all fulfilled in a 24-hour period we call Good Friday. Coincidence? I don't think so. Just another validation of the truth that God breathed his word and made it available to us. So the foundation of your faith and your believing has to be this kind of understanding. This is why you need to see what the Word has to say about life. See what the Word has to say about God and about your relationship to Him. And then begin to hear it enough. Hear it enough over and over again so that faith can begin to supplant all of the wrong things you've heard that are presently the basis of your belief system. As you know, 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word, as we see in Romans 10, 17. And that is in the continuous present sense. You don't hear somebody preach the word once and then faith has come. You never need to hear it again, you got it. It is a matter of repetition, hearing the word over and over again. And that's not gonna happen if you just go to church, uh, you know, once every now and then or even stream online every week. That's not enough because your, your mind is being filled with a lot of uh, opposite opinion and secular opinion, humanistic opinion. Every day you go to work, every day you navigate this earthly life. You're hearing a lot of other things. So you're going to have to be deliberate in the time you spend in your recreational reading, your recreational time, and people that you go into fellowship with, a sharing of heart with. It needs to be like-minded believers who are going to reinforce what you've heard. And so you can continually hear that word. And then when you're exposed to opposite viewpoints in the world, and you've heard enough word that it's not going to have a negative effect on your belief system. Faith is worth making the effort for because it will appropriate the power outflowing from his resurrection and your resurrection to newness of life into this natural world, bringing supernatural change to impossible circumstance. We're not gonna take the time to turn there now, but Mark 11, 23, Mark 11, 24, Jesus tells us a little bit about faith and he says faith will take mountains of impossibility and cast them into the sea. There isn't anything you can't overcome in this natural arena if you truly believe because it is an exceeding greatness of power to usward who believe. It's worth making the effort for. And so be sure that as we celebrate Easter this weekend and we celebrate the truth of the resurrection impacting each of us, first through the power of the blood, and you keep using that power throughout your daily life because it is something that will thwart in the unseen realm the enemy's opposition to the plan of God for you. You know, it's an interesting exercise to take and I think we've got enough time to do this. Part of the Pauline revelation tells us that we can understand the operation and the functioning of the body of Christ through the human body. The body of Christ, uh, you know, you can personalize that and say that's an individual, or it's the local gathering or company of believers called the church, or it's the universal body. But when we understand uh, the functioning of the human body, we can gain insight into the operation of the body of Christ. So let's consider blood for a moment. If blood has the power to open you to resurrected life, resurrection from every dead circumstance you will ever face. What is it about that blood, perhaps, that would 
make it easier for us to invest faith in it? Well, take a look at human blood for a moment. Of course, human blood is typified by the red blood cells that carry nutrients that produce growth and increase of the biological body that we live in. The oxygen and all of the nutrients from our food and what we need to grow and increase. And in the very same way, the blood of Jesus and that precious blood enables the nutrients you gain from the Word of God to produce the growth and increase in your spiritual maturing process, in your growth in Christ that you would want to have. Of course, I mean, you got to feed yourself in the natural arena for your blood to have any nutrients to carry to your biological need. Same is true spiritually. You've got to feed on the Word of God, but then the blood of Jesus carries that word to every part of your spiritual being, which can then grow and prosper as a result. The red blood cells also dispose of all of the waste products of tissue metabolism and just general cell garbage. Uh, you know, the carbon dioxide and, uh, and the garbage that is part of uh, metabolic, the metabolic process. Uh, but then, you know, you can apply that to the blood of Jesus. It's no coincidence we're told that the blood cleanses. The blood does it on a spiritual level and cleanses all of the, uh, the, the junk and all of the garbage that's there by virtue of the corruption of sin and a life that perhaps wasn't lived correctly at one point. It disposes of all of the effects of that garbage. We also see in natural human blood, uh, white blood cells that are the body's defense system. When the body is attacked, they erect a defense that when the body is healthy and functioning normal, normally will ward off any kind of attacker or invader, biologically speaking. Well, the blood of Jesus does exactly the same in the spiritual arena. It also is the defense spiritually for all of the thrusts and the weaponry that the powers, principalities, and rulers of darkness would bring against your life. It's in the blood. That capacity to thwart your spiritual enemies uh, attempts against your life lies in the blood in the same way. And it's interesting to me that uh, human blood, natural human blood, will produce antibodies. Once it's been exposed to an invader, it produces antibodies that will make you immune to attack, even being attacked in that area. Again, if the physical body is healthy and functioning normally, it's the way God created it to be. Well, the blood of Jesus will become your uh, I mean, you'll become immune to things that the enemy of your soul might try to do. It just bounces off of you and you won't even be aware that he's launched an attack because it has the same capacity on the spiritual plane as we see natural blood having in the physical plane. Maybe this makes it easier for you to see the, the necessity to invest faith 
in the power of the blood, to begin making all things new in your life, first on the spiritual plane, and now, by faith that you have the power that outflows from the resurrection to cast any mountain of impossibility into the sea. I don't care how intimidating it is. I don't care how overwhelming it may seem to be. Having faith that you can access the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and understand how much power that took for God to raise him from the dead. Psalms 8.3 says that You know, the heavens, the stars, the moon are the product of his handiwork, his fingers. And yet in Isaiah, we see that salvation took the arm of the Lord. Just another little revelation about how much power was required to break the chains of hell and death and bring Jesus out of the grave. And that same power, that raised him from the dead is what is available to you. That exceeding greatness of power to who? To usward who believe. So faith is worth making the effort to produce in your heart. By being conscious of what you hear the most of and what you hear it from. I mean, when you hear the anointed word, that's often preached or spoken by someone else perhaps, that anointing carries a power on it. And that exceeding greatness of power outflowing from the resurrection to you as you hear and hear and hear the living word is worth making the effort to acquire. And then you're going to have to apply it to the different areas where death might touch your life. Being raised from the dead in the sense that you'll spend an eternity with the Lord is a wonderful truth. But spiritual growth is a lifelong process and it really is defined by coming to believe in certain areas in a way that that resurrection power changes what would otherwise be impossibilities. And of course, you know, the the process sometimes is easier in certain areas than others. You know, the areas where you've seen the power work once, twice, three times, or many times before, it becomes a little bit easier for you to believe there. And sometimes the hardest places for you to see his power or the places where you feel fairly capable. Yeah, well, I can do that pretty well. I don't need to pray so much about that. I can do that, you know, uh, in my own strength. Don't ever approach life that way because even the things that you think you can do well, he can do many times better than you can do and the results will be many times greater. But as life progresses, we begin to understand these dynamics and then we can begin focusing our attention on perhaps hearing more word in this area, spending more time meditating and watering that word in this area, spending more time uh, recreationally listening to something that will build your faith. 
And then when faith has had its outworking, he says you'll come to a place of being perfect and entire. What is it? Wanting nothing. That's what we should aspire to. That's what resurrection power makes available to each of us. Otherwise, why are we celebrating on Easter? If it doesn't have practical benefits, not only for the eternal hereafter, but that we can see now, and more importantly, that other people can see in us through our faith, bringing them to a place of interest that they might not otherwise arrive, arrive in. And so essentially, I mean, we see the power of God working in our life and it just makes you more and more committed each and every day. And every day can be a celebration of the power that has been made available to each of us through the resurrection of our Lord. Wow, I love this stuff. And we ought to be so excited that you're not even able to sit on your couch right now. I mean, if you're gonna celebrate Easter, get up off your couch, run around your family room, shout and holler a little bit. Praise God, because this is the greatest revelation a human being can have and live by. The power outflowing from the resurrection, which is exerted over every believer as he appropriates that power through faith. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 